Good morning, church. I've heard before that Christianity is not about knowing a lot of things, about a lot of different things. It's more about knowing some things very well, some specific things very well. And our passage this morning is going to get into one of those things that we all need to know very, very well. So we're in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is in the midst, or he's going to start telling three different parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. So this morning, we get to talk about the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And next week from Pastor Daniel, we're going to get to hear about the lost son. So... I'm not very fond of talking about my failure. I'm not very fond of admitting my weaknesses, my screw-ups. One that comes to mind is quite a few years ago, I was driving around my mother's car in the wintertime. And it was a sleek little car, and it had a nice little stick shift, and I was going pretty fast. Faster than I should have. I lost control of it on the snow. There was a really high curb, and I could remember hearing the front bumper screech against the curb as I rammed up against it. So I go home, I get out of the car, and I see I had this huge gash in the side of the car. It does not look good. So what do I decide to do? I decide to just not talk about it. I'm just not going to mention it. And I'm just going to hope for the best. And somehow it worked. Now, what if I told you that a lot of us approach God that same way? And rather than it being kind of innocent or harmless or funny, it's spiritually devastating and perhaps spiritually fatal. And if that's the case, what should we do differently? How should we approach God differently? That's what this passage is going to get into this morning. How are we supposed to approach God? So let's take a look and see what he has to say. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Okay, so Jesus is ministering. He had just preached some very convicting, very challenging sermons. And tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him. It's a little curious that it says tax collector. You'd be like, man, why, why did the IRS people from back then really like Jesus? Okay, so tax collector is actually something more similar to traitor. That's how people would have viewed tax collectors. Because they were working for the other government that was working against the Jews in order to extract money from them. The point is that a tax collector would have been a particular kind of sinner that people would have been repulsed by would have avoided and would have shunned. So don't just think sinner, think cultural outsider, cultural sinner. In our culture today, we have these two, sinners that we're repulsed by, sinners that we try to avoid. It depends what perspective or cultural outlook you come from. But some sinners that we might view as especially reprehensible, that we might especially avoid on one hand, 
are maybe white supremacists or racists. Or maybe on the other hand, someone who's received gender transition surgery or something like that. So if you were to imagine this verse in our modern context, like and get at what it, what it means, what it's saying, maybe one way to think about it would be now the white supremacists and transgender folks were all drawing near to hear him. That maybe gets at a little more of why there's this stir about this text. And there's something about the way Jesus is, and there's something about the way Jesus ministers, that folks who feel rejected by the culture feel drawn to him. And I promise you, it's not because he's comfortable with their sin. So you'll find, you'll find in just about every text leading up to this one, Jesus is calling people again and again to repent. So apparently the people who are rejected the most for their sin, the others are least comfortable around because of their sin, even though Jesus is calling them to repent of their sin, feel drawn to Jesus. There's something about the way, something the way Jesus ministers that makes being with him safe for sinners, but not for sin. I heard it put that way before. There's something about the way that Jesus ministers that makes it, uh, makes it safe for sinners to be around him, but not for sin. And I just challenge us to grow in having that kind of demeanor, that kind of way that sinners would feel safe being around us, but would still feel challenged to leave their sinful lifestyles behind and to follow Jesus. So the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So eating with these sinners would have been Jesus' way of showing them love, respect, and welcome. How did the Pharisees respond? It says they grumble. With the sinners again. Grumbling is a word that comes from the Old Testament. Right? Do you guys remember when Israel grumbled against the Lord? They were in the wilderness. Grumbling is the opposite of faith. Grumbling is unbelief. Faith receives God's provision for sin. Grumbling rejects it. So the Pharisees, they, I think they represent people, just how most people tend to think. Most people tend to think that God likes to reward righteous people for doing good things and punish evil people for doing bad things. But that is not how Jesus was. Jesus comes as God's representative, as God's provision, and instead of patting them on the head, he goes and gets meals with people that they despised. So the grumbling is a rejection of the way that God provides for sinners, the way that God provides for sins. Grumbling is, a, is that lack of faith that all of us are prone to here this morning to not want to see and identify ourselves as sinners but come to God by some other means. So verse 3, Jesus says, So he told them this parable. 
Now, I've noticed something in the last few chapters as we've moved through them, is that when someone says or does or believes something wrong, Jesus tends to tell them a parable. So when it says, so he told them a parable, you should think, someone's in trouble here. So if you and me, if we're ever hanging out, and you say or do something you shouldn't do, and I say, so let me tell you a parable. I'm not going to do that to you guys, don't worry. So he told them this parable. What of you, which man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So Jesus begins by pointing at something familiar, shepherding, which had been very familiar back then, to point to the less familiar spiritual truth he's trying to illuminate. He makes the point that a good shepherd goes and finds a lost sheep. A bad shepherd just sits there and lets the lost sheep die. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So the parable is making a very simple point. When a shepherd finds a sheep, it brings joy. More joy even than if the sheep had never been lost. I think all of us here know can relate to this parable very easily. It brings a lot of joy when you find something that's lost. I remember one time I was trying to help someone out manage their money. This person was having trouble managing money. And they sent me their paycheck on Venmo. No, I'm sorry. How did it go? They, they handed me their, their paycheck in, their dollars and said, I want you to Venmo me my paycheck slowly so I don't spend it all at once. So... I then moted to him slowly, slowly, slowly until I paid them back in a better period of time. And I go to look for this cash, this $400 this person has given me, and I can't find it. And I throw a fit. I mean, I'm ransacking everything. I'm freaking out. And finally, I just admit, I'm just going to have to learn to live with myself. I'm just going to have to leave, just forgive myself and move on. This is, okay, you tried to help someone. The Lord will pay you back or something. Okay. About a year later, I'm digging through some drawer doing some cleaning. And I pull out this janky envelope and open it up. And what's inside? Four beautiful $100 bills. And I was just like, I was so excited. And I love these parables because they're so relatable that all of us can relate to the joy of finding something that was lost. All of us can relate to the joy of finding something that is lost. And in verse 7, Jesus is going to get to his point. And we're going to come back to verse 7. But before we get there, he tells another parable, and it's like an identical parable. It's almost the exact same parable, so I just want to Read that parable quick before we get to the main point. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, so she lost her money, just like me, 
does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have lost the, for I have found the coin that was lost. Same thing happens to her. She loses something. She diligently seeks for it. She finds it. She throws a party. That's, that's the flow of this passage. Something gets lost. Something gets found. Some people have a party. So what's Jesus' point? What's Jesus' point? We know what Jesus' point is because at the beginning of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 10, there's those words, just so. See those words, just so? That means that Jesus is getting to his point. He's trying to, this is what he's trying to illuminate. This is what he wants us to understand. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees is that God didn't come to reward the righteous people. He came to seek lost sinners. And if you notice in this passage, he does it with diligence. He pursues lost sinners. And he does it with joy. Like God doesn't reluctantly pursue sinners. Like when we have a sense of our sin and our unworthiness before God, it might be easy to think that he's reluctant in his pursuit of us as if he's like, man, I really like this person, but their sin is so grotesque, I guess I'll still save them. That's not at all the picture we're getting in this passage. We're getting a picture of a God who diligently and joyfully pursues people who are lost, which means that there's two types of people, church. There's two types of people. There's two types of people sitting here this morning. Those who think that they're righteous and those who know they're not. Those who think that they're righteous and those who know they're not. The main point we should walk away with this morning is that Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came for those who know they're not. I once heard it put that way, and I thought it was so, so clarifying. That Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came for those who know that they're not. Now, I find that a little ironic and a little unexpected. Because it's our sins, church, that separate us from Jesus. Is it not? So the natural response to sin if we want to get close to God, is to downplay it, right? Downplay it, ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. If maybe I can just pretend my sin doesn't exist, I can get closer to God. That's a natural response to sin. But that's actually a spiritually fatal response because your sin never gets dealt with. What's ironic about this passage is that the way to get closer to God and the way to get closer to Jesus is to acknowledge yourself as a sinner who needs a Savior. The more you know yourself as a sinner, the closer you can get to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. 
The more you acknowledge yourself as a sinner, the closer you can get to Jesus. Why is that? Why is that? The reason is because the more we know our sin, the more we know our need for Jesus. And the more we know our need for Jesus, the more we take hold of Jesus. Church, if you don't know your need for Jesus, you're never going to take hold of him. And no one who does not take hold of Jesus has him. And the only way to keep taking more and more hold of him and keep getting more and more of him is to keep growing in your awareness of your need for him. How do you grow in your awareness of your need for him? You grow in your awareness of yourself as a sinner. My, my big goal this morning, my hope this morning, is to convince us all we're the lost coin. We're the lost sheep. And when we grow in understanding ourselves in that way, it's crazy. We get more of Jesus. You'd think our sins would keep us from him. But that's not the kind of Savior he is. He's the Savior who, as we admit our sin problem, he loves to draw nearer and nearer to us. So if you walk out thinking anything new about yourself this morning, I pray it's more and more, I am the lost sheep who needs Jesus. I am the lost coin who needs to be redeemed by Jesus. It's imperative to know our need for our Savior to know our Savior. Jesus says this exact same thing in Luke chapter 5 when the Pharisees are grumbling. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One challenge I have for us is to pray to God and ask him to help us grow in our need for Jesus. Grow in our awareness of our sinfulness. This isn't something that's easy for me to be aware of. I want to grow in my awareness of my sin. And one way that might look, one way that might look, remember in the beginning of this chapter when I brought up Jesus eating with the white supremacists and those who have transitioned. Remember when I brought that up? My first thought when I thought of that example was, man, that would be so cool if I saw someone who could relate with people like that. Or it's so cool to see Jesus relate with people like that. And a truer and better response would be, man, it's so cool that Jesus relates with people like me. I'm in that category. I'm not actually separate from people that our culture views as more sinful. I'm in that category. I'm so thankful that Jesus relates with people like me. So that's one irony in this passage, is that our sins that separate us from Jesus, as we acknowledge him, it's actually how we get closer to Jesus. I want to point out a second unexpected thing about acknowledging our sin, about seeing ourselves as lost coins and lost sheep. You might say to me, Ross, talking about sins like this, talking about my shortcomings, it makes me sad. 
It makes me depressed. I already have a depression problem. Won't it just make us sad to talk more and more about our sin? And the second irony is that acknowledging our identity as sinners and our need for a savior is the path to joy. It's the path to being happy. You wouldn't expect it. But this passage about sin is full of joy. Look at this. When he comes home, he calls his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven. Verse 9, rejoice with me. Verse 10, I tell you there's more joy before the angels of God. Acknowledging our identity as sinners is essential to being utterly joyful in God. I read a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was back from World War II, and this is what he said. He said, you say that your object is to make us happy. But if you're going to preach to us about conviction of sin, surely that is going to make us miserable and wretched. To which I reply, the answer is yes. It may sound paradoxical, but beyond any question, that is the rule. And there are no exceptions. You must be made miserable before you can know true Christian joy. The reason for that is because as we acknowledge our identity as sinners, we empty ourselves of hoping in ourselves. And as you become more and more empty of yourself, you become more and more full of Jesus. Who here wants to be more and more full of Jesus? In church, we got to become better at seeing ourselves as needy sinners who need Jesus. I think this is the, one of the exact same things Jesus was saying on the parable of the mount, or sorry, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed, which just means happy. Happy are those who mourn, for you will laugh. Happy are you who mourn over your sin because you're going to be full of more and more of Jesus. The Pharisees' failure to see themselves as needing Jesus left them happy, or happy, excuse me, left them without any joy and grumbling. The Pharisees' failure to see themselves as not having any need of Jesus left them grumbling. On the other hand, some of us tend to see our, self, see our sin but not see our Savior, right? You see our sin but not see our Savior. And you think, man, I would be in a close relationship were it not for this one sin. Oftentimes we can think of this one sin that's more heinous than all the other sins we committed and think, surely this cuts me off from a relationship with Jesus, And friends, this passage says the example Jesus gives of himself is he loves to pursue lost sheep. If you think there's anything in your past that can keep you from Christ, you're wrong. Only thinking it can keep you from Christ is what will keep you from Christ. Only thinking what you've done can keep you from Christ is what can keep you from Christ. Jesus loves to pursue, and he loves to win, and he loves to woo back to himself. And your sin that seems miserable and heavy and burdensome is actually something that God will use to make you more joyful in him as you bring it to him. Isn't that amazing? That God takes even the worst thing about us, our sin, and in his plan, he uses, us, uses it to make us more joyful in him. 
I want to challenge us to try to grow in having the emotional life of this passage. So verse 7 says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Does this describe your emotional life? This is what I want my emotional life to look like. I not only want to be so glad that I've been found, I not only want to be so glad that you've been found, I want to be glad that God finds other people. Church, I love how many children we have and how happy we get about children, and I hope we keep staying that happy about all the children that are born. But I think we should be even more happy about a baptism than about a new baby. I think we should be even more joyful about our neighbor or friend or coworker who comes to know Jesus than we should be about a new baby. There's nothing better in the world than when we see this happen, is there? There's nothing better in the world than when we see God Almighty save a lost sinner. And I just want to challenge our church to grow in this way. That what would make us glad more than anything else is seeing God save people. So let's pray together. Let's seek God together. And let's grow in seeing him, seeing this as what makes us most joyful. Now, as reading this passage... It talks about, like I said, something was lost, something was found, and there's a party. Something was lost, something was found, and there's a party. And I was thinking to myself, man, this kind of sounds like what we do every week here. We were lost, we were found, and we gather and party. Church, when we gather... This is unlike anything else in the whole world because of what we're celebrating. We were lost, we were found, so we get to party. Our neighbors are lost, our neighbors are found, so we get to party. And what's crazy is that as we grow in that way, we're entering into the emotional life of heaven. Just take a look at what heaven is like. Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As we grow in our joy in this place together, we're emulating the emotional life of heaven. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is one way that the emotional life of heaven comes to earth? We join in rejoicing in the things heaven is rejoicing in. What is making heaven glad, what is making God glad, what is making the angels glad, is what's making us glad. That's what makes a church different from every other kind of club and gathering in the world. You don't rejoice over lost sinners at the YMCA. You don't rejoice over lost sinners at your workplace. But when we come together here, we get to rejoice as lost sinners together. That's what makes us church differently. That's what makes gathering as believers different from the rest of the world is we enter into, we replicate the emotional life of heaven like nothing else. Now what difference, church, what difference would believing this truth that God doesn't come for the righteous but for those who know they're not, what difference would this make in our lives? 
Like, how would we live differently as a community? If you notice the Pharisees, they're grumbling about Jesus eating with the people that they were meant to minister to. They were grumbling about Jesus eating with the people that they were meant to minister to. They were failing to do their job as religious leaders. And until we embrace this truth about us, we won't be able to minister to the people God wants us to minister to. Until you understand you've been saved by sheer grace, you cannot approach any and every sinner with the same kind of grace. Think about it. There is, is a type of sinner that makes you uncomfortable. There are types of sinners that make me uncomfortable. Who would you have a tough time having over for dinner? I know I brought up some examples before, but what type of person would you struggle to spend time with and just simply love and tell them about Jesus? Until we are radically changed by grace, we cannot extend it to other people unconditionally, fully, freely. We call ourselves all people's church. That means we can minister to all kinds of people, right? But the problem is there's going to be people you won't feel comfortable ministering to until you understand yourself as utterly saved by grace. There should not be one type of sinner who is not welcome at any one of our dinner tables. One type of cultural reject who's not accepted in our homes. And until we utterly know ourselves as sinners who need a savior, there's always going to be people that we hold at arm's length. It's just the way human beings work. So to be all people's church, we need to know that Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but for those who know they're not. Nothing makes this point, nothing states this point more clearly than the cross of Christ. Right? If Jesus came to reward people who deserved it, he wouldn't have had to die on a cross. There'd be no need for the cross. The fact that Jesus came and died on a cross states more emphatically than anything else that he came for those who need help. So if you're listening to me this morning, if you're hearing the sound of my voice and you're thinking, man, I'm one of those sinners and I want to know a savior, nothing says more clearly than the cross that you are welcome to come to Christ. And nothing reminds us more emphatically, more clearly that Jesus did not come for the righteous, but for those who know they're not. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you came for undeserving sinners. And we thank you that when we deserved you least, you died for us. And I just ask that you'd help us to grow in identifying and seeing ourselves as sinners not so that we can be despondent and sad and gloomy, but so that we can hope in Jesus more and have more of Christ. So would you please fill us more with yourself this morning? Give us more of yourself and give us more of the peculiar joy that only Christians can have of being lost coins and lost sheep who have been found.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.